Everybody and welcome to Wednesday Night Musical Osmosis, where intelligent dissonant thought meets melodic euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, broadcasting to you live from the shadow of Hurricane Mountain here in Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my percussively proficient co-host, a man calling in all the way from Charm City, my pal Odell Norman. Happy New Year's, bro. You too, man. You too. You you too, D. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, as always, back there making sure things don't get too fucked up is <laughs> D, the producer. Yeah. So, um, why don't you tell everybody what we got coming up on the show, Mr. D? Okie dokie. And then well, we can, we can yeah. kind of get to it because we've got a big night tonight. <laughs> Let me turn off the music because when I was doing the intro... I felt like my words, my cadence was hitting every note with the Dead Milkman no. song. No, so, not really. I know. So, next Wednesday, no, not next Wednesday. Uh, we're we're off for a few days um, because we like to get really, really drunk for the new year. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but next Friday, um, January 8th, as well as on the 10th on Kettle of Fish, we are going to have comedian Matt Geiler, super funny guy. And then on the Ignorance Equation, Sunday the 10th, we are having the super-duper awesome Chuck from Chuck and Bob, uh, Mr. Jay Johnson, who is just absolutely amazing. And then on that Wednesday, that'll be the 13th, we will be back with Musical Osmosis with Song Hammer. And we're going to have Ben Stewart from that, also known as Shredhammer. And, yeah, and then we are going to have, on the 27th, we are going to have Stevie E. Nicks from The Briefs, and that's going to be super duper cool. And I almost forgot, this coming Sunday, we actually are going to have just an hour-long show. Um, We're going to do that at noon this week. So a little bit different than normal. Of course, we're going to touch on Cosby and some other things that are going on. Uh, and then February seventh, yeah. No pun Oh, that was bad, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, oh, I was just walking right into that shit. Touched on many So here's yeah. the reason we weren't going to do a show Sunday because it's the second. We figured everybody would be hungover. However, right. as as um, Odell can attest to as well, I started writing for a new site called If You Only News, 
And I was starting to get some criticism from my co-host, Dwayne, that now that I'm writing for a site that mainly has a left-leaning voice, that I'm not staying true to the Ignorance Equation brand and mission statement. So we got into this big um, discussion about it. I could see his points. He can see my points. But I started thinking about, and I'm going to put a survey question out about this, about is there something like a Cosby can do where you would stop watching reruns of the Cosby show or stop eating jello pudding or whatever? And Odell, you've seen the stuff I've been writing. Does this, I yeah. mean, do I get to have an identity separate from my radio persona or does everything have to line up? Am I allowed to go and do this other thing and be separate from it? Or if somebody goes, I won't listen to the ignorance equation because you do a show with punk bands and I hate punk. Like, do I have to just be one thing? I, I don't understand this point of view. No, not at all, man. That's that's the beauty of individuality, man. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's you're diverse, and that's good. You know, usually mm-hmm. people with open usually people with open minds are are pretty diverse in what they what they think and and, and do. Not a lot of creative Nazis out there. No, no, Hitler <laughs> failed as an artist. Mm, such as it is. Because he probably wasn't very open minded. But the point is, is I wanted to do that. And with the thing that happened with Cosby today getting indicted, I was like, well, this will be perfect because I can tie it into Cosby. We'll do a one-hour show and kind of ask. And let me ask you, Odell, since you won't be on Sunday, is there anything that a musician or an actor could do where you would stop enjoying their product, stop listening to their music, stop watching their movies? Or is that totally, in your mind, separate from being able to enjoy their creative art or outlet or whatever? No, there. I mean, and 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 I think since you know having kids is is uh, definitely. I don't know if it's changed my mentality, but it's. I I feel more affection toward when I see things that happen to kids, like you know, like for example, oh, when yeah, you know, showing you know, may show images of kids and and struggles or kids you know dead somewhere and stuff. You know, automatically I start thinking of my kids. So like mm-hmm. if I know if I know an artist or whatever like molesting children or child porn or any of that stuff I'm like okay we're done we're we're it's a dump it's a wrap you know does that um, subway with the whole Jared fiasco well well mm. that I mean Jared wasn't making my sandwiches and I wasn't really going <laughs> I wasn't really going to Subway because I saw Jared, you know, you know, holding his big pants up, you know, and stuff. I, I just went Subway well before then and I, now Subway on the other hand, they're probably like, Oh man, okay, great, this guy <laughs> Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah, all the money they sunk into him and for him to come out with this the worst possible scandal. Oh that and, and then just the the stuff that he was saying, man, it was like, oh, my gosh, dude. Oh. Yeah, I wouldn't listen to the audio. I saw links to it, and I just, like you said, I have kids now, and I just can't stomach even imagining yeah. what was being said. So I couldn't even listen to it. So, like, but with, like, Ozzy, it's still one of those things It's like, it's so tough, man, because he was so, he was embedded in my mind from such a young age with, like, Fat mm-hmm. Albert. You know, people forget about Fat Albert and... And then, of course, the Cosby. I mean, the Cosby Show was. Didn't it, he do man. Reading Rainbow or something like that? One of those type of shows. No, that's. Uh, no, he, he, he did. Um, that's he picture had the, the dudes from Star Trek. That's what it was. Yeah, called. Picture Burton. Pages. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did picture. Yeah, he with the pen. You know. Yeah. So I mean, 
he he uh and then his his involvement just in the whole especially in the African American community, just the fact that you know, I I have a lot of friends that are you know, especially when I moved up here to Baltimore City, there's a lot of young people that, you know, their father was Bill Cosby. You know, they didn't have a dad, so they watched the Cosby show. And Bill mm-hmm. Cosby was their dad for for, you know, in in, in a sense. And and you know, it's just like, man, to know that at least the possibility, and he's admitted to some of this stuff already, that it's like, it just throws me for a loop. Like, Linus, you know, Linus is one of his favorite shows was Little Bill. You know, I, I can't watch that anymore. Mm-hmm. There's Bill Cosby standing there. I'm like, man, this dude's drugging women. So it's like, it's just tough, man. It's tough. Yeah, and we're going to talk going, Dad. I got a, in depth, I got a lot of questions Sunday to ask about this whole Cosby thing. I want to hit on something else, too, before we get Joe in here. Of course, tonight we're having Joe, Jack, Talcum from the Dead Milkman on the show. Um, I'm super excited to talk to him, but let me touch on this first. Oh, and another thing I wanted to tell you last show, you are no longer known as new co-host Adele. You are officially co-host Adele. How do you feel? You're here to stay. <laughs> yes. I like it. <laughs> I even went back no, and I, changed the picture and took out the new co-host and just put co-host Odell. No, like I said before, man, I, I appreciate you and D asking me to do this, and it, it's been a blast. Like, I absolutely love it. I, uh, you know, I've always loved music, and this and, and, and this just gets to, you know, it's not every day I get to leave work and say, hey, I'm getting ready to interview, you know, Joe Gennaro from <laughs> – <laughs> that milk then, you know, I'm saying that on the mm-hmm. way home, I'm like, wow, you know, yeah, so it's really Yeah, cool. and I didn't know it's what really to call really cool. him because publicly he's doing the whole Joe Jack Talcum thing, but Joe Gennaro is what's on the actual albums. So I was like, yeah. okay, is this solo identity different or separate from the actual Dead Milkman identity I know him from? But we'll get into all that. Anyways, let's start <laughs> on this because we got like five minutes. Um, okay. Monday, right? Yeah, Monday the 20. 20- Eighth, Lemmy, and of course everybody knows this, Lemmy from Motorhead passed away. Um, I want to kick some Lemmy facts and some Lemmy quotes and stuff. But first, I want to say this because this is bizarre to me, and I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks this is bizarre. Lemmy Mm -hmm. got diagnosed on the 26th with cancer, and I didn't see exactly what type of cancer, so maybe that has something to do with it. But he got diagnosed with cancer on the 26th. He was given um, four to six months to live, and then he died the 28th. And I also, we also have a friend whose stepfather got diagnosed with cancer like on a Tuesday and was dead on Friday. It is absolutely mind-boggling to me. You could be so cancer-ridden that you're that close to death and not fucking know it. How do you not know you have that much cancer in your body? Yeah, it's it's one of those things too. He had been sick for a while, so it wasn't like um, this was a new thing because uh, he had canceled. A, you know, Motorhead had canceled a bunch of shows uh, earlier this year because he had fallen ill. And um, you know, so when I didn't when he when I found out that it was cancer, yes, a couple of days ago, I was like, wow. You know, a couple months ago he had fallen ill. I thought maybe they had diagnosed it then, um, but they didn't say it was cancer. Then they just said it was his health related reasons that he right now he can't you know do the shows and you know in, in, you know how musicians are they they bow you know they say the, the right things basically you know we'll, we'll come back we'll be back stronger than ever and, and this and that and um 
Yeah, it was yeah. sad watching those Dio interviews where he had cancer, but he had known it for a few months, and he's like, I'm going to beat this, and a month later he was dead. And I was like, yeah. man, that is so sad because he had such a positive attitude, and he was like, this is not going to beat me, and then a month later he's dead. That I think that is almost more horrible than just getting hit by a truck or something, right? Yeah, well, I mean, same mm-hmm. way with, uh, um, who was was it, MCA from um – Beastie Boys was the same route. The way they, and it's also how you want to you want to put it out there too. You know, they were very um, more. They were they they did it more on the positive spin. The Beastie Boys, like, hey, he's, he's gone through surgery. So the way they put it out there, it felt like he was going to get through it. And then all of a sudden, it was like, boom, he died. And you're like, whoa, okay, I thought he was getting, you know, I mm-hmm. thought he was getting better just from the way they were portraying it. But you know, actually, I guess it, it you know didn't turn out that way. Yeah, cancer's a monster, dude. It doesn't care. White, black, it's rich, not, poor, boy, girl. Care. Yeah, it does not care, it, dude. And all the money in the world, it might be able to make you more comfortable, but if that cancer's got you, all the money in the world's not going to save you from it. Yeah, and it sucks. It, it sucks. Taking a lot of great people away from you. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, too, before I kick a couple um, Lemmy facts. Because I had a conversation, I remember, a few years, God, I say a few years because I'm an old man, but it was probably more like 10 years ago when Brad Knoll from Sublime died, and it actually affected me. I was like, wow, like that, I actually feel the impact of Brad Knoll dying. And I had asked my mm-hmm. wife at the time if people that she's fans of, people she enjoys what they create, if it affects her. And she said not at all, like she couldn't care less one way or the other. Is it weird? Oh, wow. You guys, you and D, is it weird that if somebody dies that you're a huge fan of, that somebody would just kind of be indifferent to it? Is that weird, or am I just kind of overly emotional? I think everybody's different. I mean, like when, for example, because he was a huge influence on me growing up, when Michael Jackson did die, regardless of what he'd done, he was an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- and the same way with Heath Ledger, he amazing, amazing artist. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like, oh, that sucks. But then, like, my mom, who was very familiar with Michael Jackson's work from the time she was a kid, she was just like, oh, well, that sucks, so oh, well. And I'm just like, wow. but the world is missing this beautiful, beautiful talent. And she's like, yeah, yeah nah, it sucks. People die. You know, so, yeah, it's, it's a little weird. A little bit. Odell, yeah. you feel the same way? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. I, I, I feel more so... Uh, I remember um, when, you know, pretty much everybody probably does when uh, Kurt Cobain passed. And I was a you know, huge mm-hmm. Nirvana fan. I just saw him in 93 at Catholic University, like that November, right around the time where he first OD'd, you know, not too long after that. Where, um, and, and when he was in Rome, I think it was not too long after, um, you know, me and Serge had went and saw him. And, um, you know, that hit me hard, you know, because it's just like, man, all of that talent and, and yeah, all that potential. Yeah, all that yeah. potential. You know, and, and there's been several artists, and, and I, I think it's all in affiliation to how um, it it hits you. So, like, you know, for example, like Michael Jackson was just equally as bad because my childhood, you know, you know, I remember staying up, you know, watching what was it, uh, Friday night videos because they mm-hmm. were going to show the Michael Jackson thriller the whole way through, yeah. and I remember my whole family staying up because we wanted to see that and. You know, like when Brad Knoll died, yeah, that was another big one because Nick, if, if I'm not mistaken, we had just saw the Sublime. Yeah, a handful of months. Yeah, a handful of months before that. 
So, you know, um, Shannon Hoon was another one from Blind Melon that really hit me hard because it was almost like they were just getting there. Like, you know, yeah. you know that the, the, the one album that broke was really good, but the album that came out after that was phenomenal. Same way with Sublime, if, you know, the the album after, uh, you know, not 40 Ounces of Freedom, but Sublime, I guess the self-titled Sublime album, yeah. that album was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like Heath Ledger's the same way. It was like they were oh. just getting there. They were just yeah. getting there. And, he had and, just and, and finished Batman. That's the kind and of one I have. And it was just like, oh, my God. And I always gone. said, if I ever break big, the universe will kill me. And because of the way my life nah. is, the way that I will die will be ridiculous. Like, I'll get hit by a fucking ice cream truck or a bookmobile or something. Like, I'm not <laughs> going to die like a normal way. I'm going to die in some absurd way, like chicken, like choking on a chicken McNugget or something, like really bizarre. <laughs> All right, let me get to these Lemmy facts. Because yeah, I definitely man. want to pay tribute to him because he was a huge – and a funny thing is, and I had um, Corey on from Warrior Soul last Wednesday, mm-hmm. and Warrior Soul was kind of the same way. They were a metal band, but they were a metal band that was absolutely like DRI and suicidal, accepted mm-hmm. in the punk community, accepted in the rock community. They crossed yeah. the genres, and not everyone well, can do that. I mean, it's a small well, percentage yeah. of bands that can do that, right? And, and Lemmy was the first one to tell you, you know, everybody wanted to put him in that heavy metal category, and Lemmy would be the first one to say, you know, we're just a rock and roll band. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, you can categorize this as you want, but we are a rock and roll band, and that's how he saw it, you know. So Absolutely. he was such a cool dude, man. It was just like he was him. He was so honest. He was so cool that people copied him. You know what I mean? If you look at all the artists that came after Metallica copied him, uh, Molly Crew. I mean, if you listen to any of the music, you're like, man, you know what they did? They put on a Motorhead album, and they were like, we want to sound like that. And 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 Lemmy, to the day he died, was Lemmy. You could not mistake him from anyone. You know, he didn't change the way he looked, his attitude. He was just who he was, and and it was it was awesome. And that's what works best is when you're your true self, yeah. and I think that's what makes yeah. musicians successful. I'll never forget yeah. in '94 when the whole Bobbit thing happened, and I'm not a porn guy, but my buddy, mm-hmm. um, you know, our buddy Pat Sheehan brought over the Bobbit porn, and there's a scene mm-hmm. where Lorraine Bobbit cuts off John Bobbit's penis and throws it out a window, and Lemmy is mm-hmm. walking down the street and he picks up John Bobbit's penis. It's supposed to be a reenactment. And he goes, what's this, man? It's a penis. Yeah. And, like, puts it in his pocket. And that yeah. was like, wow, yeah. like, man, this is a, this is great porn television. This is amazing <laughs> to me. Holy well, shit. He, when I got into uh, um, the trauma movies, when I started collecting those, one of the reasons why I started collecting them was I watched, um, I think it was the first one I ever saw besides Toxic Avenger, was um, Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah. And Lemmy's in that. And I'm like, that's freaking Lemmy from Motorhead. Holy crap. And then then I got, uh, you know, Tara Firmer. He was in that. I'm like, and he was just him. It was Lemmy as Lemmy. And it was so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, and he, you can interject him in things, and it was just like, oh, that's Lemmy. Like, there's nobody that's not going to recognize him. Nobody that's yep. not going to know who he is. He resonates with everybody. Even pe- I mean, and people, and he's like, he's he's like living arts because p- different people take different things. From yes. Lemmy, you know what I'm saying? Like one yes. person might see him as a rebel, another person might see him as a genius, another person might see him as a madman, and everybody's taking something different from that Lemmy experience. And I think that's what makes yep. him stand out as well. 
Okay, Amen. let me kick some facts here. Um, Ian Frazier, Killmister, better known as Lemmy. Odell, do you know why he was named nicknamed Lemmy? No. He was nicknamed Lemmy because when he was a young boy and panhandling on the streets, he would always say, let me get a quid. So he just started calling him Lemmy. True story. Here's one I didn't know. Lemmy was born on Christmas Eve. Did you know that? Yes. I knew that. I knew that. I think we all know he was a roadie for Jimi Hendrix, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Guinea's Book of World Record, of course, Motorhead, loudest band, broke the world records. (laughs) And then um, (laughs) another thing this reminds me of is I had Pickle, or I had Pickle. Sorry, I had lips on the show, not not this last time over the Christmas break, but a couple years ago, and he had a chance to play bass for Motorhead. And I was like, mm-hmm. you had a chance to play bass for Motorhead? Oh, and yeah. Like, and I was like, dude, if Lemmy called me at 3 in the morning and said, fly to England and mow my lawn, I would fucking do it. How do you think <laughs> no to Lemmy? And I don't even know him. And if he just got my number, it's like, all righty then, I'm going to need you to mow my lawn. All right, I'm on a plane, fuck it. How do you okay. say no to Lemmy? And Nick, and, Nick, and Nick would bring the lawnmower, too. The lawnmower would be yeah, right there. Right? You'd be like, I will use scissors, whatever you want, yeah. Yes, I will give your lawn a manicure like Edward Scissorhands. Yes, Lemmy. I got, hey, Nick, I got a quick story for you. You know how Lemmy, um, he did that side project with Dave Grohl, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Probot. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Wino. He was also in that, um, you know, he's from you know the D.C. area. Um, he played in The Hidden Hand with Bruce uh, from FaZe. And um, so one day I actually ran into him and Bruce at FaZe, uh, not at FaZe, but just out, out and about. I think they were at Chuck Levin's music store or whatever. And I ran into him, so I was talking to him. And this was not too long after the whole ProBot stuff and everything. And I was like, in my head, I was like, I had met Wino before, and he's a really cool dude. And um, but I was like, I don't think I'm gonna ever get a chance to ask, you know, somebody that knows Lemmy, one on one, you know, like. So I asked him. I was like, How was it playing with Lemmy? And he was like, He's like, You see what you get, man. Yeah, it's like he's the coolest dude in the world, and what I you bet. see is him. And I was like, Man, I saw. He was like, He could have played all night, and he was like, And he would drink anybody under the table. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a given. All right, I don't want to keep Joe holding much longer. So um, I had a whole bunch of tweets from different artists who tweeted out after his death, and then I had some quotes. I'm just going to do one of each because I got to move the show along. My favorite definitely, tweet, definitely. though, was the Briggs, the band of Briggs. They had tweeted out Who would win in a fight between Lemmy and God? Trick question Lemmy is God. <laughs> <laughs> and then, apropos. Of all the Lemmy quotes, because I've got Rolling Stone's um, 17 top Lemmy quotes here. Um, apropos of that, is death isn't inevitable, isn't it? You become more aware of it when you get my age. I don't worry about it. I'm ready for it. When I go, I want to go doing what I did best. If I die tomorrow, I couldn't complain. It's been good. And awesome. I think that sums it up yeah. right there, right? All right, yeah. a bit of business. Um 
Spike Polite from the band, the punk band Sewage, actually sent us a flyer, and I um, yes. I was excited because I don't get to check out a lot of new music. I'm an old crotchety yeah. man, so I kind of like I'm in my little pigeonhole of music. And I was like, who's Sewage? And I had added them afterwards as a friend, and I was like, let me check them out. And I went to YouTube and I checked out their various um, videos they had up, and I was like, wow, these guys are really fucking raw. They're really good. They're really intense, and um. I want to have him on the show, but I told Spike I would give a shout out and read some info. He he sent me a flyer for a show, and yes. Dee, I okay. if you want to read that, let us know what's going on tomorrow night with sewage. All right, now this is in Brooklyn, so if you are nowhere near Brooklyn like us, you're screwed. <laughs> but if you are in Brooklyn tomorrow night, especially over by Grand Street uh, at Grand Victory. Then you can hang out at Sex, Droogs, and Rock and Roll, the New Year's Eve go. 2016 party with Sewage, Ted's Dead, The Rats, The Cuts, and The Droogets. And, of course, there will be shop promotions hanging out with some PBR, and it should be a good time to be had by all. Yeah, I mean, I've been stupid busy lately, so I didn't have a chance to check out all the bands on the lineup. But I will tell you this, and everybody knows me. I'm not a panderer. I'm not going to say I like something if I don't. If you're in the Brooklyn area, check out Sewage Live if you haven't. Even if you're not in the punk, open, broaden your horizons. Go check this show out if you don't already have plans. You don't want to sit there in the mob at Times Square. Go over to Brooklyn and check out the show. Absolutely. All right. So, coming on the show is Joe Gennario, a.k.a. Joe Jack Talcum, um, from the Dead Milkmen. As usual, I always like to do a little setup. I don't have bands on the show that I'm not huge fans of or that I'm not newly turned on to as a fan. So, why don't we talk a minute about why we love the Dead Milkmen. I will say, and this is why I said Pickle earlier, because I've had Pickle on my mind. I talked to Pickle yesterday and told him we were having Joe on the show and you know, Pickle is a cannibal corpse loving death metal fanatic. And Iron Maiden having Iron Maiden. <laughs> the lightest thing he listens to is Iron Maiden. If you put That's on Taylor it. Swift, he'd probably throw up and pass out. He is very heavy into his music. And when I said that, expecting to be like, who the hell's that? Or, oh, that's lame. He was like, oh, man, I remember that video, Punk Rock Girl. I love that, that band. I love the things. And he only had heard a couple things. You know, I'm sure he'd heard Bitch and Camaro and the things we used to play at parties. But even right, Pickle right. was like, man, I love the Dead Milkman. And I didn't have to tell him Punk Rock Girl. Like, he knew it off the top from years ago. <laughs> What is it about the Dead Milkman, you think, that it has such a resonance with people? Because it seems like everybody that we told about this show is losing their shit. Well, I, I know for me personally, I, they, they, not that I'm a young person, but they were um, a little bit older than, you know, when, when, like, when that album, when Punk Rock Girl and all that, that stuff came out. But I just remember the videos and the imagery of those videos and then just the tone of Joe's voice um, captured me. So when I got older and started listening to it, I, I, I understood it more because of the, the, the things that they were talking about. And they did it in such a way that it was it was funny to listen, but in all truthness, it was like on point with what's going what, what was going on at that time. And, um, and just the, the fact that everything about it, like eventually when I went to like Philly and different places up there to see the place, I'm like, wait a minute. That's Zipperhead. That's that. 
that's the dead milkman. I didn't know that was an actual place. That that's you know, it was like so everything that they really talked about or spoke about was actually real. And I thought that was so, so cool. Yeah, and you know, I always say I'm a fan of the dead milkman and then I was a little embarrassed because I started digging into Joe's history to prepare for the show and oh like gosh. his career is so, so, so can I say so again? So much more <laughs> than a dead milkman. And I mean, yeah. I was like the low budgets. Now I've got a new band to cling on to because I absolutely yep. love that band. I believe Joe played keyboards on that band, but he's been in so many different projects and I got to listen to a bit of it here and there. I was, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, man, maybe I'm not the fan I thought I was because this guy has <laughs> like his footprint in the, in music and his impact is gigantic. Right. It, it is. It really is. It really, really is. All uh, right. Well, about that. Yeah, oh, go ahead, though. <laughs> oh, no, no. Podcast, we were talking, I want we to get Joe in. No, yeah, we were, no, we were just talking about that the, uh, the other day. But I was like, man, I feel, I feel guilty. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I mean, so much out there. I was like, we're getting Joe on, and I started popping in the old CDs and stuff and listening. And I was like, let me check out his new stuff. And his new, the new Dead Milkman since they came back, I think, in like 2011. That was on my radar, and I was familiar with it. Mm-hmm. But when I actually dug into his solo stuff and the, yeah. the tape, like the recorded stuff from his house and things like that, I was like, oh, my God, this guy's a genius. They're not just mm-hmm. like a band that left a footprint. This guy's a madman. And then it kind of – I had to up my game and, like, really look into everything. But anyways, without any further ado, Joe, are you with us? Hello. I think Joe. I am. Hey. Hear me? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we yeah. could hear you. Happy New Year. I could I could hear you too. Happy <laughs> well, New Year. <laughs> Thank yes, you so true. much I'm for crazy. calling in. I mean, uh, but in a good way, you know, okay. and a very I'll take that. Yes, a very good madman like the movie Shine, like a very good madman <laughs> way. But you know, um I want to thank you for calling into the show. I'm sure you heard all the accolades at the beginning. Yeah. Um, huge impact on me and Odell, any musician that was in that genre. But more so, when I've never hand, had a fan um, outburst like I did when I told people you were coming on the show. Like the positive feedback I got about people who probably haven't even really had music evolved in their life because they, they got jobs and kids and they're kind of out of listening. Oh, to they're too anything. busy. Yeah, they were just like, oh, my God, I feel like a kid again. I'll definitely be listening. You guys just, like, you really struck a chord with people and have a huge cult following. Yeah, we struck maybe three chords. That's about all the chords we know. Well, there you go. But they were three beautiful chords. <laughs> they were they're the best. Three glorious chords. <laughs> That's all you need. Glorious Milkman chords. So yeah, let me ask you this. I want to dig into the Dead Milkman, and I want to dig into all things Joe Jack Talcum. But just out of personal curiosity, at the beginning of the show, we were talking about the passing of Lemmy from Motorhead. Um, was Lemmy any kind of an impact on you? How do you feel about his passing? Uh, it's very sad. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sudden, but I guess he wasn't too well for a while. But, yeah, it's very sad. Yeah, I remember I first heard about them when I was in college, and it was Ace of Spades. And yeah. Yeah, that was a huge, huge song. I think it affected everybody in the world, that mm-hmm. song. 
Yeah, I mean, that was the party song. I mean, that's how they are primarily probably known. So, yeah, I was just wondering, because, I mean, this was such a big blow, and it seems like more and more artists are passing on, and you just really got to get out there, listen to music, and enjoy it. I think that's why it's important that we get the word out there that, like I said, there's a lot of people who probably don't even enjoy music anymore, and I think that's sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's yeah, yeah, that that is really sad. You're bringing me down. All right, well, let's liven <laughs> things up because, like I was saying in the um, start of the show, you have so many projects. There was a big gap. I think it was a 13 year gap between the Dead Milkman breaking up and then coming back and doing the reunion tours. And I definitely want to touch on that in a little bit. But you have so many side projects, and I was just kind of wondering, during that 13-year period, were you striving to get back with the Dead Milkmen? Were you like, I'm just completely done? What, how was it different performing solo? How was it different kind of being in all these different projects? Did you always feel like it's going to eventually, this road will lead me back to Dead Milkmen? Uh, tell me what was going yeah, on with you during that time. I didn't, I didn't think the Dead Milkmen would get back together, but I... It, it, I'm glad that it happened, but uh, I I think I had so many projects because a I don't know how to say no. I don't want to say no, and uh, <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah, until until there's absolutely absolutely no more time to do anything else. I'm still kind of the same way. I'm in a bunch of bands, and it seems like every minute of free time I have is doing something. With music, I don't know if that's just my imagination, but uh, I, you could say maybe I was spreading myself a little thin there. But mm, I, jo- I, I like playing with people. I like playing with people. Music. You know, All right. It's, I can't. I can't understand people who don't like music. It just. Yeah. Yeah. We had that. Go ahead, Adele. We had that the other day, right, Adele? No, yeah, we were. It, it's a, it's funny you say that, Joe. We were we were talking about that the other day, like how I know for Nick and myself, we met through mutual friends because we went to see I think it was the Meat Men, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah. and and it was and it was um, mutual friends, and we got together, and then basically our whole circle of friends that we have, you know, now we're married with some of them, have kids by, and it, it all started with the musical, uh, you know, the music aspect of that, and. Um, you know, I, I do find it weird when people are like, oh, I'm not really into that. I just turn on the radio and I'm, I'm good with what's on there. Yeah, that's bizarre to me. I guess it's because we have music solid in our lives or we're musicians or we listen to it critically. So that's probably why. But I, I, I'm I, glad that the Milkman got back together. For a long time, the low budgets were the the band that were solid, the, my solid band that um, not not the band not a band that I really wrote songs for that was uh, Chris uh, Chris Peelout's band, but mm-hmm. we we uh, toured all over the place, the United States and Europe, um, and just so happens we got back together uh, just a couple weeks ago for two shows. Wow! And it was okay. Bringing back bringing back memories. Uh, <laughs> of the raucous <laughs> drunken times we had together back in the 2000s. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, we 
Yeah, we played in Philly, a huge show that was just, you know, all kinds of people from the past came back to see it, came out of the woodwork. And then we played in uh, Asbury Park uh, just a couple nights ago. Well, I gotta say, I'm pretty musical, pretty people. I absolutely am in love with this album. I think it's one of the best things you guys have done since maybe the first two or three albums. You can definitely tell an evolution there. And as I'm listening to this, after seeing everything that you've done separate from Dead Milkman, I was wondering how much of what you've done separately, how much of that bleeds into getting back with the um, Dead Milkman creatively. How do you choose now if you write something? Is it better suited? Does it click better with Dead Milkman? Does it click better with this other project I'm working on? How do you make those kind of creative choices? I let the other people help me make them. Um, we kind of it's if if say Rodney or Dean or or Dan like something and wants to work on it, then it can become a Milkman song. If not, then it can be used for other things or maybe recycled later when uh, on a future Milkman album. Or or I can play it solo. Or maybe I'll play a song solo and think, hey, this is working out as a good thing. Uh, maybe the Milkman would want to do it. In fact, Punk Rock Girl, which was a big song for the Milkman, originally was designed to be a song that, not, not for the Milkman, it was for... Um, a project Dave and I had oh, wow. uh, called Ornamental Wigwam, which is really obscure, but that was just a, a thing that we did together. Um, we made a cassette recording and we played uh, just duo with bass and guitar at, at uh, small bars around Philly. So we played Punk Rock Girl maybe for half a year before... Um, it became a debt before we even presented it to the other guys in the Dead Milkman um, because people liked it at our shows. And we thought, hey, maybe this would be a good Dead Milkman song. Yeah. I mean, it warmed my friend Pickles Heart, who's a hardcore, um, like, Cannibal Corpse fan. And he was like, uh-huh. I love this. So, I mean, it definitely was able to cross over and reach people. And that's what you want to do as an artist, right? You don't want to just pigeonhole yourself to one crowd. No, you don't. You don't. Otherwise, you'll get sick of yourself. Yeah, very well stated. No, I don't. I really don't. I just write songs and then see what happens to them. There you go. Well, let me ask you hey, about the um, JoeJackTalcom dot com page, then, because when you're doing the recordings out of your house, and, and I'm going through and I'm listening to this stuff, and I'm kind of reading up on everything on that page, do you feel like you have more creative freedom, not having like that Damocles sword of production hanging over your head? When doing these other projects, like you could just kind of go here and be free creatively and do whatever you want. Is that like more freeing than writing Dead Milkman songs? Well, I don't know about that sword. I don't think I've had many issues with production values in my life. Right. (laughs) Uh, You know, if it doesn't... It, it, I can I can get I can be have uh, mental blocks when it comes to 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 writing lyrics and it's and when I get to that stage then I need help from somebody I need I need idea I need people to give me ideas feed me ideas because when I run out of if I have an idea I can usually flesh it out right um, 
So I think of myself more as a collaborator when it comes to uh, really writing songs, complete songs. That's okay. what I'm saying. Very nice. I've, Do I've you want a bunch of songs by myself, but I don't like the songs I write by myself when I listen back to them. I might like them while I'm writing them, but then there's always something that pricks me. When you're collaborating, do you like to steer the ship, or do you like to just throw it out there and then see I, how it works with everyone else? Yeah, I'm not much of a ship steerer. I, okay. I'll let somebody else take care of that. Fair Maybe. enough. Yeah, see where it goes. <laughs> Odell, I'm just totally yeah. enamored with Joe, so I'm kind of talking right over you. So let me let you take um, over here for a second. No, I, I just know Joe, uh, a lot of your songs um, are related to, um, you know, where you're from and, 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 and actually other bands that have influenced you. Um, can you take us back a little bit into uh, where you, where you're from and how – that became so influential in in the, in the music that you that you have written. Well, I'm from Pennsylvania, the suburbs of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Music was always in my life from as long as I can remember. Okay. Um, way into records. Uh, I kind of wanted to be a songwriter as a kid and ended up being one. Uh, my path to that, uh, actually actualizing that, I guess, was uh, learning to play the piano at my parents' house and then getting a guitar, uh, being inspired by whatever records I was that came my way or that I bought uh-huh. uh, at a... In in junior high school, uh, I got a hold of a Bird's uh, what is it, seven inch EP. Uh, really, really liked it. Uh, there's a book a book I read uh, about them, and I learned that their biggest hits were written by this guy named Bob Dylan. So ah. I. <laughs> Uh, got a Bob Dylan record and just totally, totally fell in love because wow. here was a guy with a guitar, just a guitar, harmonica, and singing, and it seemed power- so powerful to me. I was like 15, uh, and then I just had to get, I was obsessed. I had to get every Bob Dylan album that was out, Right, <laughs> and that I was a mega sense. fan, and same with uh, the Beatles. Uh, I heard the Beatles um, from my aunt my aunt's record collection and that I borrowed and you know I I I sort of put I I started to realize some of these songs I heard on just by ran, random on the radio were Beatles songs mm-hmm. and another thing I I didn't I had records uh, in my collection that were written by these Lennon McCartney and lo and behold I found out they were in the Beatles so oh, wow. that was part of my aspiration too to be something like that or to find somebody to be my partner of writing i also liked elton john around that time and he had a writing partner so that's kind of what i wanted to do i just i started writing songs around then for my own amusement my 
uh, Neighbors Amusement. We wrote songs together, and I uh, made tapes. It just so happened we called we we I called one of the tapes the Dead Milkman, um, <laughs> because I uh, made a well. Long story short, I had a a newsletter that I mimeographed at the library, and uh, that it was is a fake school. fan club. Yeah, well, this this was 1979, <laughs> uh, and it was a Dead Milkman fan club newsletter making fun of fan clubs in general, um, just making fun of all the music business, what I knew of it anyway, living in the suburbs, reading Cream, Rolling Stone, and stuff, that stuff. I was making fun of the music business. And I liked punk then, too, when uh, when I heard the Ramones, when I heard the Sex Pistols, I liked that stuff. So it all came came together. Uh, the late 70s, early 80s, was uh, I still think was a great time for new music. Yeah, uh, no doubt. All kinds of, all kinds of new music. Talk oh, that's awesome. Ed. Blondie, oh, Dead Boys, Velvet yeah. Underground. Well, well, yeah, Velvet Underground. They were from the '60s, but I just, I just Basically, found out yeah. them in the '70s. I was yep, yep. already like everybody else, but they, they were yep. another big influence. <laughs> yep. Lou Reed. Oh. All this stuff is good, and it's just, it's just like everywhere I turn, David Bowie is there. There is something else that I had to become obsessed about. It just never ended. I, and I think that's such a cool thing. I, I don't know if it's, it's sort of, I think it's sort of lost a little bit now. I mean, it's so much easier to access music now because, you know, you can put in, you know, you can put in the Dead Milkman and then all of a sudden it's like all the acts that sound like the Dead Milkman or whatever. And you take it you know. granted, right? I mean, yeah. you don't have the thrill of going and looking through Tower Records' obscure selection in the back and saying, I found this and nobody else has it. Now everybody has yeah. access to everything and it doesn't mean as much. Do you yeah, kind no, of feel no, like things are more water down? to get to there. But you're you're right in a, in a way it made the reward all that much sweeter when you had to save up your pennies till you till you can afford hunky dory or something like that. And then wow, what a great album when you got it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like <laughs> that's songs. lost. Like now you would probably know all those songs instantly cuz you just put it on your Spotify or your Amazon and there it is. Yeah, there it is. sadly, so there's, correct. Some of it's cool. Some of it's, I don't know. I can't, I can't uh, imagine what it's like for young people who have that taken for granted. Who take that for granted? I mean, I've tried to explain it to my kids, and I just got a blank stare back. Like they <laughs> yeah. can't even imagine, uh-huh. like the caveman <laughs> days of having to drudge out in the snow on a Tuesday when new albums came out, and being. I mean, I remember I skipped school. To get um, the new Iron Maiden album, Seventh Son, when I was like in 10th grade. And I knew, like, we were there at 8 in the morning. The guy at the record store, we bribed him to go buy us a bottle of Crown Royal. And we were the first people to listen to that album in our school. And we were like kings that day. I was like, we are the first guys with our Crown Royal listening to this new Iron Maiden album. And it meant something. And I just, I mean, the it just made the CD smell a lot better and everything about it. Like, I could still remember opening that CD and smelling it and drinking Crown Royal at Becky Edwards' house and listening to Iron Maiden. And I don't, I think those memories are lost now to kids. And I think that's a sad thing. I remember thing. that, too. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let me shift gears. Yeah, here you can't I... smell the MP3. No. 
<laughs> you can't smell the MP3. That's our quote of the night. You definitely cannot smell the MP3. All right, let me switch gears here, Joe. I want to ask you this because I read um, a couple different reviews, and one thing that kind of irked me is you guys were described as a satirical punk band, and I, I felt like that was a little unfair. Like it almost seems like you don't take the music seriously, and I hate labels to start with. How do you feel when your band is labeled this way or that way, or does it have zero impact on how you think about anything? A satirical punk band? Yeah, I mean, does that uh, label... I guess we took it, uh, take it as a compliment. Because it means we're funny. We were we were trying to be funny on purpose, at least back in the day, back in the old days. <laughs> we were. We Did that have an impact on how... We wanted them to laugh with us, though. Yeah, a lot of bands. If they laughed at us, they're still laughing. <laughs> but a lot of those punk bands like Black Flag and Minor Threat, like they had very serious tones to them. And people, especially in the D.C. area where we grew up at, like well, how, were you accepted among your peers or were you kind of isolated? TV party's kind of funny. They they made it, they were funny people. <laughs> but some people have serious – that's how – I mean, it's – I think it's harder to have a good serious song than it is to have a funny song. Funny is easier. Really? See, I would I think did. it would be harder because you've got to have such a clever take on things. Maybe. But uh, the cleverness is a crutch for, uh, or or not a crutch, but a, a cover. Mm. And in fact, right. our songs are serious. Even yeah, that's what I would say. It's serious. Right. That's why I felt like it was a little bit unfair kind of having that label thrown on you. And I just like when you're thinking back to those beginning days, if you're interacting with punk bands who have this dead serious persona, yeah. are you guys accepted or are you a little bit kind of like marginalized or isolated from the scene because you're doing something so different in that time period? I think we are accepted by the people that count. Cool. There was a little bit of both. Um, but that's everyone's going to find that no matter what they do. Right, right. That's true. That Odell, what do you got? No, I know. Um, I know. Uh, sort of bouncing off of that, were there any moments like when, uh, like the, the, I wouldn't say the sarcasm, but you know, there was a few songs that probably you know in there that you know maybe pluck some people's nerves the wrong way. Were there any moments where, you know, you went to play a show and and there was a particular group that were maybe, you know, took offense to some of the things that you said that maybe were like, okay, you know, we don't find it too funny. <laughs> yeah, people don't get the joke, or people don't like the joke. There yeah. was, uh, yeah, there in the early 80s we had that. We had some radio stations say we're banning you because you're racist. We're not racist. Wow. Or you're homophobic. Oh, my God. We're, not, we're definitely not homophobic. We're racist. <laughs> right. I mean, everybody maybe has a little racism in them, uh, but uh, we're. I think we went out of our way. To, I mean, that that was that's the danger of satire anyway. Yeah, yeah. People don't, don't realize it's satire. The, the, uh, the band, the FUs that we name drop in Tiny Town, uh... Did a whole album that was satire that that the uh, racist in Tiny Town just took at face value. They said we don't like punks, but we love the FUs. 
<laughs> nice. In, it, the song inverts on itself. It's in yeah, satire. Yeah. Satire within satire. There you go. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because you guys had such a recognizable career back those first four or five albums, and then you guys break up, and I've read several things that said it was due to commercialism and label problems, and I know in the punk scene especially there's this ongoing argument of can you become more commercial and not kind of sacrifice your roots or sacrifice your message. Did commercialism originally kill the dead milkman, or is that story kind of blown out of proportion? I think it's blown out of proportion because it's not really true from my point of view inside the band. Mm-hmm. Um, we we wanted to be successful uh, on a commercial in a commercial way. Uh, we decided when when we were starting out um, because that's that one of our goals was that hey we could maybe we can make a living do this let's do it let's make a living and tour. I think what actually happened was we we were successful to a certain extent, but oh, when you the more successful you become in the music industry, the more successful the industry expects you to continue to be. They always want you to be better or the, the next album to do better than the one before it, and if it doesn't do better, it's a failure. Which wow! Didn't make sense to us. At the time, right. it didn't make sense to me when we would put out, and 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 we had our trajectory was we were on a upward swing from the first album to the fourth album. They we were uh, we kept selling them, and the first album kept selling and selling and selling. While we put out the second album, third album, the first album kept selling, and we sold more of the second album, etc. And the fourth album was a big one, so the record company. Um, Enigma Records at the time when it was it had great expectations for the fifth album which weren't met and that's where things became a little slippery and we started to um, fall in their eyes but and then this is, the sixth album was with a totally different type of company it was Hollywood Records that really wanted um to get their money really they wanted their investment back really quickly it wasn't if we had known at the time before signing with them we probably would never even have signed with them they gave us complete commercial uh a complete what do you what do you call it um artistic control over everything and we did the album that we wanted to do but it wasn't really probably the album they wanted to sell or they could sell uh okay. in a quick in a quick amount of time so they just gave us the boot um because we didn't push, we didn't push enough units by you know Christmas or whatever the date was that they had to reach the goal. And our attitude was, well, it's a it would be a slow seller, but just let it be in the catalog and you'll eventually make your money back. Because this is something that it's different than our stuff, but um, our previous stuff. But eventually, enough people are going to get get to like it and just give it a chance. Uh, but that's not the way the, the music industry works. But now we are the music industry of our band. We don't have to deal with anybody else's expectations. Wow, that is an, an incredibly intense Unbelievable. Story. Let me ask yeah. you this, because, I mean, I guess, well, let me kind of summarize. I guess so. what you're saying is it wasn't the fan base 
that kind of dropped off because of the because of the success. No. It was the business putting pressure on you and just kind yeah, we, of writing we, you off. I think we always had a core fan base that that kept up that kept up with us all along. Yeah, it's yeah. true. We had some peripheral fans, or we had some fans that didn't like that album, or maybe didn't even like Metaphysical, or maybe only bought Yelzebubba because they saw a punk rock girl on MTV, and that was it. Right. And they were never in. They were never going to buy the next album unless it had another thing on MTV or was just as cool. Or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't for them at the time. Um, and that's how it always yeah. I mean, that's how it is. But, you know. that's, how, that's how it is. It's tough to be a band. <laughs> there aren't many bands that just consistently have hit, hit, hit on every album that they make. Yep. Um, we we could have kept going uh, and made a living with our band after 1995. But we decided as a whole it wasn't what we wanted to do anymore. We were we were tired of the touring. We didn't make it. We weren't getting into any bigger levels where we could uh, make faster money and not be out on the road three quarters of the year. That's where we kind of plateaued at that level where you had to be on the road most of the time to make right. a when having an incident like that, when having an experience like that, does that make you bitter towards the business, and then you kind of want to strip down and go back to square one? It made me think that we should have always been doing it ourselves from day one, which could have happened but didn't. We made a con- we made a decision to sign with a label um, rather than get invest in our own production. But at the same time. Who knows what would have happened if we tried it on? Yeah, that. yeah, you can't. We, got, we, we might not have been been publicized as much either. Yeah, true that. All right, we got to wrap this up here in a minute, um, but I do want to kind of talk to you about what led to the reformation of the Dead Milkmen, and specifically, once you're back with the Dead Milkmen, how hard is it to kind of fall back into place with the songs? Does it feel different after 13 years? Or is it just like reuniting with an old friend and it clicks immediately? What's that process like after 13 years of jumping back in to Dead Milkman and doing it all over again? We got an offer that was really good from um, a guy named Graham in Austin, Texas to play Fun, Fun, Fun Fest which is a huge ah. festival they have in November. Yeah. And Graham actually actually was a voice on a singing voice on Metaphysical Graffiti when he was a kid, he was in the kid choir that sings on the opening track. Nice. Oh, cool. Graham Williams and now he's a big uh, music promoter. He convinced us to get back together and we figured it would be a one-time thing. Relearning the songs was amazing fun for me it was like it was a surreal experience because i didn't remember most of them and i was like did i really write this did we write this we have some crazy chord patterns that i never i don't remember coming up with these things and some of the things are songs that dave uh came up with to, to begin with or some that dean so it was interesting i remember going online and looking up chord or tabs or stuff for our songs and realizing they're all completely wrong. I don't know who writes these things. <laughs> what? <Whoa. laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was fun. The guy that took Dave's place um, taught me some of the songs again. He knew them better than I did. 
So that's Dan wow. Stevens. Dan Stevens. <laughs> he did a great job. So, and it, and 2008 actually wasn't even the first time we relearned the songs, but uh, 2004 was. Right. Because he did a few reunion shows too, right? Yeah, we did in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first screening, and that that I think is what made Graham think that we could do it, uh, even though Dave passed away. Yeah, wow. Together, so we did, and we love that experience. Uh, fun, fun, fun. So, do you feel like I, this is it? You're back in Dead Milkman, moving forward, and I mean, are you guys going to put out some new music? I know you put an album out last year, and it's incredible. I've been listening yes, it to is. it obsessively again since getting geared up for this. Um, do you guys plan on to just keep pumping out albums and keep doing the Dead Milkman thing, or are you going to try to pursue solo stuff a little bit? Oh, I think we lost Joe. O- Odell? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I believe we I, did. Oh, he was on Skype, and I think we lost him. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, and I doubt we're going to be able to get him back because we're past our mark. All right, I guess we will kind of end there then. Send Joe a message and thank him for us. Tell him mm-hmm. he won't be able to Skype back in. Um, so there you have it, Odell. I didn't get to everything I wanted to get to, but I think it was an amazing interview. And Do you ever? <laughs> man, they, yeah. no, of course not, because I could talk for 10 hours, because that's just the way I'm hardwired. Yeah, yeah. There was so much more that we could have probably gotten into, but uh, yeah, that, that was awesome. That was really awesome just to hear you know, a lot of the stuff that you, you know, you read um, that he, you know, actually clarified and, and things, you know, so they, I mean, you're talking about a band that's been through it. They've, they've definitely been through it. So. Yeah. And just to be able to hear that history firsthand, that was an incredible thing to Unbelievable. me. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was. Unbelievable. Cool. And, and All the right. fact that, that Go ahead, now, oh, no, I was just saying the music now, like like you said, Pretty Music for Pretty People, incredible. That's an incredible album. Um, I don't know how many people have realized that they have, you know, they put out two albums since 2011, um, but I would definitely, you know, highly recommend checking them out because uh, they're still doing what they do, and it's really, really good. By the way, Jamie and Elizabeth just uh, messaged us and said, great interview, and that you were awesome at <laughs> I'm probably just annoying with my nasally voice. Oh, Joe's back. Okay, hold on. Let me get in here because I want to finish up this interview. We got him. Joe, we lost you for a second. Yeah. All good. My fault. I don't know. You're oh, cool. no, thank, thank you for coming nice, back on, man. Nice <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. We were about to wrap it up anyways. I just kind of wanted yeah, to right. talk about the new album and where you guys are going from here. Yeah, we did uh, probably more more played more shows than we've ever played last year to promote the new album pretty music for pretty people yeah and now we're taking a little break um i'm going on a solo tour down south february march and we are in the thinking stages of uh yet another album so it will be probably our third so are you coming to baltimore anytime yeah soon? And I thought I saw that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. am. February. Is that where you are in Baltimore? Yeah, I live in Baltimore. Oh, okay. So I definitely want to check it out. <laughs> yep, Metro Gallery, February twenty awesome. fourth. Hold on. 
Alrighty, Joe, I want to thank you so much for calling thank in. You. This was an absolute delight. Please tell everybody your various um, social media platforms where people can find you and look up everything you're working on. Yeah, jackedalcom.com uh, is a website, and you can get my email address there. Um, there's joseph.genero uh, at Gmail. And that's Google, Google Plus, and that's about it. All right. All right, Thank All right you, Joe. Man. Thank you. I All hope right. you have a good New Year's, and we look forward to hearing from you next year, Joe. Thank you very much for calling in. Oh, thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All righty, there we go. Okay, I'm glad I got him back so we can at least find out everything that's coming up with him. Um, we got just a minute left. Odell, do you have anything you want to say out the door? Because I'm about to actually play some low budgets because I'm fairly obsessed with this song. Um, I, I thought, <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought I saw that they were playing in Baltimore. I thought I saw he was playing in Baltimore on the 24th of February. So I am going to definitely check it out, and I'm gonna try to get some pictures with him and send them to you, Nick. And, and nice, uh, I'll put them on the archive page, or I'll put them on the yeah, Facebook man. page, probably up on there. That'll be um, awesome. One more time, do you want to tell everybody about Spike's show, Sewage's show in the Bronx? Or is it Brooklyn? I sure will. It, it's, it is in Brooklyn. So if anybody is in the Brooklyn area tomorrow evening, uh, you should definitely head on down there. It is over at Grand Victory. That's at 245 Grand Street. And there will be Sewage. There will be Ted's Dead. There will be the Rats, the Cuts, and the Drugettes as well as it looks like they will have some uh, some PBR and Shaw Promotion is helping out there, so maybe you can get some swag while you're at it. Nice. We'll Very be back stuff. the 13th with the cosplay band Songhammer, and then we Ooh. will be back with Steve E. Nix from The Briefs. That's a band, shoot, that is a band that had a huge impact on me, too. Man, we are so that damn is a band to be able to interview so many people that have had such an impact on my creative so- process. Dude, it's so awesome, man. This is like I told you, man. This is so cool. <laughs> All right, like I, I wanna right wish, now. <laughs> I want to wish everybody a happy New Year's from Ignorance Equation Radio. Um, Joe has had. I don't think they're still playing regularly, but I think he said he's still doing shows with them. But um, a side band called The Low Budgets. He plays keyboards on. I want to play this song because The Low Budgets. I just kind of discovered them when I started researching the show. These guys are mind-bendingly incredible. I love these guys. So let's end the show with Wipe My Ass with the World by the Low Budget. I hope everybody has a safe and awesome New Year's, and we will see you guys next year. Bye, guys. Bye, bro.